From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. Welcome to this Round the World election coverage, in which we bring you up to the minute yesterday's election particulars today. That's right, we're going to find out what's going on with the presidential elections from 1920 to 1956, in addition to information on politics, voting, and women's suffrage. And here to start swinging those votes is Jack Teagarden and his 1939 orchestra. I swung the election, friends. That's no small order. To just blow nose and sweep all the votes from Canada to the Mexican border. I started out with a bang, blow the Dixie line. Molten and shot was burning hot, and every single vote was mine. From there I swung westward, taking every state in my stride. My bandwagon swinging, everybody started in to ride. I won every town and state without exception. My friends, my friends, I swung the election. Now to give you some idea of the reception I was accorded, I took a sound man along with me and had these scenes recorded. you're indulging in is politics yeah it's politics simply politics you pay a fella seven dollars and he kicks back six you're in politics every time 
can make a bold prediction, brand it merely fiction, scream to get the credit, then deny you said it, hand reporters wires, call them lousy liars, when you see it in the press. Son, you're a natural phenomenon in politics. Sure, it's politics, purely politics. If you are loyal to a dozen different cliques or cliques, you're in politics, more or less. If you can please the big employers and the workers' lawyers, keep busy fighting while the fish are biting. Don't improve conditions except for politicians, then demand a little fee. My boy, the papers have a name for it. It's politics. Yeah, it's politics. Filthy politics. If you can treat the general public like a bunch of hicks, you're in politics. Yes, sirree. You must be either high and lofty or a regular softy, smart administrator, or a second-rater, stern and superhuman, or like Harry Truman, then you'll really make it pay. The occupation that's designed for you is politics, often called a fix, but it's politics. If you can mingle with the Dutchman and the Irish mix, you're in politics. Hip hooray, you spell it P-O-L-I-T-I-C-S, you're in politics. Hip hooray. We have just heard politics. Our 1949 correspondents were Kenny Delmar and Loring Smith, backed up by the Texas Little Darlin' Orchestra. Before that, Jack Teagarden and his 1939 orchestra swung the election. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport, and this is Around the World Election Coverage. If you haven't yet mailed in your ballot for this year's election, here's some information on voting in person on Tuesday. Polling places in Maine are legally required to be open until 8 p.m. on Election Day. And as long as you're in line at 8 p.m., you have the right to vote and cannot be turned away. If you're already registered to vote, you don't have to supply an ID. But if you're not registered to vote, you can register at the polls. If you bring a government-issued ID or some other proof of residency, such as a bank statement or utility bill. We hear next the sound of one more vote provided by Perry Como and the Satisfiers with Russ Case and his orchestra occurring in the 1946 election. One more vote, one more vote, speech, speech, one more vote, one more vote, speech, speech. Fellow cats, mess your gears. Won't you lend your politic ears? I have a burning message, listen, and I will quote. Note. I'll donate you a ham. Spam. A platter of fried frim fram. And I'll give away a haircut with every vote. One more vote. I'm a hip candidate. Great. 
square deal for every gate. Great! No waltzes by Brother Strauss. The cement makes up in every house. Party, party. Vote for me. I'm the guy who can get you some shoe fly pie. At the racetrack, I can give you the win and goat. Won't you denote the dope? Parlez-vous, entrez-nous. That's French. Little of boots for two. That's sense. You dig me and I'll dig you, so I quote, vote. Run some fun, son. One, one more one vote. One more vote. One more vote. One more vote. Stuff mixed up. One more vote. Laying it on till we get enough. One more vote. When we win, I'll pitch a ball at this city hall. Every hip cat. Vote with zeal, Miss McNeil. Vote with zeal. We'll cook up a groovy deal. Get that feeling, everybody is eight foot tall. Man, you're tall as a wall. Hear my jive, man alive. Drive. Get on buzzing around the high. Jive. A wanna will get you five. The square's a rag and take a dive. On the hop, blow your top. Bring me home with the rebop de bop Bop! Dig each hot rod souped up hip cat that's in the nose. Joe, you show him a go. Make him vote, drag him in. Win! Remember it ain't a sin. Skin! Somebody has got to win, so I quote. So note this quote, remote, put on your coat, get out and vote, don't miss the boat, you vote just one more vote. And I quote. Hey, 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 hey. I'm gonna write a letter to Congress up in Washington, D.C. I'm gonna mark it for the attention of the senator from Tennessee. I'm gonna tell him that you've been gambling with my love and hope that he will call you up before the committee. Oh, the senator from Tennessee, I know he's gonna investigate you cause you've done wrong time after time. And though I just never could hate you, what you've done is really a crime. I'm gonna write him that you've been stealing cause you've stole my heart from me. You'd better get yourself some protection from the senator from Tennessee. You've been cheating, that you're running around on me. I know he's gonna get an indictment, oh, the senator from Tennessee. He's gonna find out you've been lying, you're a sense of perjury. I hope you get the maximum sentence from the senator from Tennessee. He's gonna find out what you've been doing, checking every move that you make. 
Gonna prove you drove me to ruin That you're just a cheat and a fake And if he proves that what I've been saying Is the truth you won't go free We're gonna do our darndest to get you Me and the senator from Tennessee That was Hard Rock Gunter threatening his girlfriend with the senator from Tennessee in 1952, a year of controversial Senate investigations. Before that, Perry Como and the Satisfiers with Russ Case and his 1946 orchestra provided one more vote. Our own recent politics has proved to be extraordinarily rancorous. So let's hear from an extraordinarily gentlemanly presidential candidate from the 1950s, Adelaide Stevenson. He ran twice against the extremely popular Dwight Eisenhower and was forced to concede both times, which he did with good grace. He went on to become the ambassador to the United Nations under President John F. Kennedy in the early 1960s. Here he is with a little public service announcement recorded in 1952. This is Adley Stevenson. I've tried as best I could to discuss the real issues facing you and me and all the American people in the four years to come. The time for decision is now at hand. On Tuesday, November 4th, you and I will vote to help decide who should be president. For all our sakes, I urge you to go to the polls. I sincerely hope you will vote for me, but most of all, I hope you will vote. Thank you for giving me this time.
President Harding March from 1921, presented here by the United States Marine Band. This was preceded by a public service announcement recorded by 1952 presidential candidate Adlai Stevenson, encouraging everyone, regardless of party affiliation, to exercise their right to vote. Now, let's take a look at the U.S. presidential election of 1920, which was the first time women across the entire nation were allowed into the polls. Up to this, women's suffrage in the U.S. was a mishmash, with many western states allowing full voting rights, some only allowing local elections or voting for school boards, and some states allowing no voting rights at all. Canada was in a similar situation, granting full women's suffrage in 1925, with Quebec holding out until 1940. Jacob Jacobs is on hand to expound on the effects of the ratification of the U.S. 19th Amendment granting women full voting rights. Here we are in Yiddish, the 1920 
ride a pony like Teddy Roosevelt did. You giddy at your broomstick like a Yankee doodle kid. But little Mr. Future President It's time for you to go to sleep You've done a lot of marching And you've had a lot of fun It's time to put your drum down And forget your Washington Cause little Mr. Future President The Sandman's got a date You must keep No time for tales of honesty Or about the 4th of July You know it's past your bedtime, little fellow Now don't you cry Who knows but when you grow up Why you may be fit to run Cause in this land that's free It may be anybody's son Little Mr. Future President It's time for you to go lullaby from the 1948 presidential election, Artie Wayne with Andy Phillips and his orchestra, Little Mr. Future President. This was ushered in by a Yiddish song from 1920, Alle Weiber Meigen Stimmen, All the Women Can Vote, featuring Jacob Jacobs. Now, we would like to draw your attention to the excellent editorial published this week by eminent editor Edward French for the Pulitzer Prize-deserving Quadi Tides entitled Keeping Our Democracy. He states in part, Voting is not our right, but our responsibility. A strong case could be made that we are not entitled to live in a representative democracy if we do not fulfill our civic responsibilities. Yet voter turnout in the U.S. is much lower than in most established democracies. It ranges from 60% in presidential elections to 40% in midterm elections, and turnout is even lower for primary, odd-year, and local elections. Those are numbers we as a nation should be ashamed of. 
In dictatorships, people yearn to be able to vote. In emerging democracies, they are proud to do so. In the U.S., many shrug their shoulders and mutter that their vote doesn't matter. That seems to be particularly true for younger people who vote at much lower numbers than those who are older. The U.S. has one of the lowest rates of youth voter turnout in the world. And yet much of what the future of this country will look like depends on who is elected. Youth engagement in the civic process is essential for this republic to survive. This from the editorial Keeping Our Democracy, penned by Edward French in the Quadi Tides. And underscoring his sentiments, here is Vaughn Monroe and his orchestra with Voters on Parade. When the votes come rolling in, oh, when the votes come rolling in, count me in with that great number. When the votes come rolling in, oh, many men have fought and died, and they'll be voting by your side. So get out and join that number when the folks come polling in. In the big parade, we'll be so remember in November, join the voters on in the big parade so remember in November join the Republicans make up with the Democrats. Show those foreign diplomats that you dare dance. The Washington Square dance. No matter what side you're on or where you stand, take your partner by the hand and each pair dance. The Washington Square dance. The theme is a get-together policy. Show our friends across the sea it's a fair dance. The Washington Square Dance. The rules are the same as cricket, golf, or squash. No fair cheating, cause the Washington Square Dance is square. Bow to your partners, bow to your corners. Dance till your cheeks are red as a rose, but 
try not to step on your partner's toes. Now duck for the oyster, dig for the clam. Duck for the oyster, dig for the clam, but do your digging for Uncle Sam. And one for the money, two for the show. One for the money, two for the show, and three to get ready for Uncle Joe. Republicans over to the right, Democrats over to the left. The left meet the right and don't explode. Try to find the middle of the road. And square dance, the Washington square dance. Be careful, you'll have to watch your step, by gosh. No round heels because the Washington square dance is Washington Square Dance. Be careful, you'll have to watch your step. By gosh, no round heels because the Washington Square Dance is square. Ethel Merman with Gordon Jenkins and his 1951 orchestra with Washington Square Dance, which describes the give and take and spirit of compromise between the two major parties, an art which has become for the most part lost in our present-day national politics. Before that, Von Monroe and his orchestra with Voters on Parade. And speaking of parades, we are on location here at a parade of presidential candidates eager to present their platforms. We hear first from Louis Jordan, candidate for the Swing Party. Let's hear his vision for our nation. Joe President, every Sunday evening at 2.30, I'll entertain all your kitties on the White House lawn. All right, folks, if you send me to Washington as your leader, I'll personally see to it that every living American gets his potion after I get mine. We all are worrying about the coming election. But you know, folks, we got to make the proper selection. And I want to get all you people straight about all the candidates. Now, if you want a man with a good offer, then cash your ballot for Kefauver. And you can rest and be assured you'll get no graph from Taft. But if you want administration that'll groove you, that'll move you and keep you sent, bit straight, we all know that MacArthur would be great. And if you want a hipster that'll take no sassin, then vote for Stassin. But if you want to walk on the sunny side of the street with a candidate with a beat, vote for John Parker. 
campaign. Everybody's gonna drink champagne. And in every city, I'm gonna install a rhythm committee. Pass out them cigars there, boy. And on my birthday, everybody in the USA is gonna get new shoes. We're going dancing, nobody will get the blues. No longer will I be on a phonograph record. I'm gonna be on congressional record. If you want the man of the hour, then vote for Eisenhower. And ladies and gentlemen, don't sit there and sob, cause Truman don't want the job. But if you want a candidate that's real cool, don't vote for the elephant out of you. Vote for me. Vote for John If you send me to White House, we all will serve. Time. I'll put everybody on relief. If you want to hustle with Russell, go ahead. That was already done with the three sons running on the 1948 Love Platform. The speech he just delivered was entitled, If I'm Elected. Before that, the crowd here heard from Louis Jordan for president, running for the 1952 swing ticket. And now, representing the 1936 Woe-dee-ho party, Ella Fitzgerald will give a speech on behalf of Mr. Rhythm, whose schedule did not permit him to be here personally. You 
time is coming and I'm a real gone candidate go to the polls real early and don't forget the date just vote for Mr. Boogie vote for Mr. Boogie vote for Mr. Boogie vote for Mr. Boogie I'll put rhythm in the White House and all the squares have got to go I'm gonna go to every city make a speech in every town Kiss everybody's baby when their daddy's not around. So vote for Mr. Boogie. Vote for Mr. Boogie. Vote for Mr. Boogie. Vote for Mr. Boogie. I've been rhythm in the White House and all the squares have got to go. I'm gonna print up lots of money. I'm gonna sell it for a dime. All you folks can quit your job and have a real good spending time. If you vote for Mr. Boogie, vote for Mr. Boogie, vote for Mr. Boogie, vote for Mr. Boogie. I'll put rhythm in the White House and all the squares have got to go. Buzz Connie promising to put rhythm in the White House. 
1948 speech urging the voters to elect Mr. Boogie. His address was preceded by some excellent 1936 oratory delivered by Ella Fitzgerald on behalf of Mr. Rhythm, who is running on the Wody ho ticket. And to contrast the level of civility in campaign days of yore compared to today, we eavesdrop on a conversation between the two 1928 presidential frontrunners, Herbert Hoover and Al Smith. Here are the happiness boys, Billy Jones and Ernest Hare. You know, I had a dream the other night. I saw two famous men. Where did they meet? Upon the street? Yes, they shook hands and then they started talking in a friendly way. Well, won't you tell me what they had to say? Yes. Who is the grandest, greatest man this country ever knew? Oh, it's you, Mr. Hoover. No, it's you, Mr. Smith. Excepting Georgie Washington, he was a good man, too. He's not running, Mr. Hoover. Well, what a break, Mr. Smith. Are you dry? Uh, uh, I can't remember. No. But I'll know, no, no, in November. Well, anyhow, you'll get one vote because I'll vote for you. Be yourself, Mr. Hoover. Keep the change, Mr. Smith. I've heard politicians say that you have got technique. What's technique, Mr. Hoover? It's the bunk, Mr. Smith. Why don't you bring your family to visit me next week? Great idea, Mr. Hoover. Bring your lunch, Mr. Smith. Do you trust in your supporters? I did once, but now I use garters. I'm feeling kind of hoarse today, why I can hardly speak. Try some oil, Mr. Hoover. No, I'm cured, Mr. Smith. Well, that was a dream. Yeah, wasn't it, though? This dream was such a funny sight, it certainly was queer. Well, tell me, did they crack a smile? No, they were both sincere. I listened and I didn't miss a word. Well, let's hear some more of what you overheard. How will you treat the farmers if they put you in the chair? Once a week, Mr. Hoover. Applesauce, Mr. Smith. I think you like the capital. They give you lots of air. Hot or cold, Mr. Hoover? Just hot air, Mr. Smith. Oh, I hear you're from the east side. No, you're wrong, old top. It's the wet side. What will you give the people who have done more than their share? Vacuum cleaners, Mr. Hoover. Why not cough drops, Mr. Smith? Let us harmonize a bit and exercise our throats. Holy olay, Mr. Hoover. Solo me, oh, Mr. Smith. Now that's the way to do it shows we really know our oats. You sing bass, Mr. Hoover. Very bass, Mr. Smith. Now we might sing Annie Laurie. Yes, we might, but we might be sorry. We'd better quit this singing if we want to get more votes. You're a genius, Mr. Hoover. You're another, Mr. Smith. Reservoir, Mr. Hoover. Fresh your pants, Mr. Smith.
winter green. Winter green for Canada. Yeah, I'm the guy the people mean. He's the man the people choose. Love the Irish and the Jews. I'll bring you beer, wine, and booze. That's me. All oh, louder, please, so all can hear. Winter Green for President. <laughs> now they hear you far and near. What a man! What a man! He has an inch of control. But who hasn't? Winter Green for President. Vote for prosperity. And just see what you'll get. Oh, wait and see what you'll get. Winter Green for President. Now I'm the man to fill the shoes. Winter Green for President. Yes, I will bring you beer and booze. He will do some riding on the rail. With reformers fill each jail. For each pot, he will find that long lost chicken. And my private life, I will match with anyone oh. who's chicken. Have a cigar. Winter Green for President. Winter Green, a.k.a. Hal Kemp, laying out his 1932 platform in his bid for the White House. This was preceded by a dream conversation between Herbert Hoover and Al Smith, who ran for president in 1928, presented by the Happiness Boys, Billy Jones and Ernest Hare. And now we finally have a female candidate approaching the rostrum. Here is Sophie Tucker explaining why she will make the most desirable president. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm a gal who never wanted to mix into politics. But my country needs me now, cause it's in one awful fix. You men have been running the USA for years, you've had full sway. I think it's a crime and just about time that we women had our way. You men have ignored the women. You've always been unfair. What we need is a woman now in the presidential chair. I ran for president four years ago, but Mr. Truman got in. Like William Jennings Bryan, I keep on trying, and this time I'm going to win. My presidential boom is going to be big and strong, and from now on, you'll hear this campaign song. Sophie Tucker for president, your candidate for 1952. On the day that I'm elected, all you gals have been neglected, will be furnished with a lover tried and true. For president, and I guarantee a better deal for you. You women who have husbands who just go to bed and snore, I'll pass a law, I'll make them be as amorous as of yore. Like Dr. Pepper, they'll be good at 10 and at 2 and at 4. You vote for Sophie Tucker for president, your candidate for 1952. And here is my platform. When I'm elected, I will see to it that we women get our rights. We'll not only have better days, but more enjoyable nights. We've been getting the old one-two from all of you politicians, when what we want is greater affection and better loving conditions. We now have government controls on all kinds of merchandise. When I get in, we're going to begin to put controls on all you guys. We'll put a control on every old wolf, 
who's cheating on his spouse and will freeze what he's got to cheat with before he leaves the house. And when it comes to the forgotten man, I'll go one better than Mr. Truman. I'll put every forgotten man with some forgotten woman. And if they need information on that popular indoor sport, instead of the congressional record, I'll send them the Kinsey Report. For the betterment of our widows, you can't beat the Tucker plan. In every closet, a new mink coat and every boudoir man. You may get a widow's pension now, maybe all right. But what good is a pension on a cold and rainy night? What you women need is a guy like Clark Gable to call on you every night at nine with a big, long, kosher salami and a bottle of Manischewitz wine. He'll take care of your welfare in a manner you'll adore. And you can call up your psychiatrist and tell him you don't need him anymore. That's why I say we've got to have a woman in the White House. Women are doing everything today. We have women doctors. Hooray for the women doctors! We have women lawyers! Hooray for the women lawyers! We have women plumbers! Hooray for the women plumbers! In fact, there's very little difference between a man and a woman! Hooray for that little difference! Stop your heckling, please. Here is the most important issue. When it comes to the policy of foreign affairs, may I modestly say, I've had a couple of foreign affairs and I handled them okay. I'll take care of those Russian diplomats who do nothing but stall or disagree. Because when I get through with those guys, they'll have no strength to veto me. There's a big difference between war and peace, one fact you can't ignore. No man yet has ever said, I've just had a darn good war. So vote for Sophie Tucker for president.
I would say, okay, I'm so-and-so, but it's great to know that I'm so-and-so without a thing, but still a king, cause I have you. In a surprise move, Skinny Innes and his 1934 running mate, Hal Kemp, are withdrawing from the race. He has decided he does not want to be president if it means losing you. Before that, Sophie Tucker brought her 1952 proposed platform before the voters. And this concludes our Round the World special election coverage. We heard from a broad array of candidates and election issues from 1920 up to the 1956 race. Don't forget that if you haven't yet voted, Tuesday is Election Day in the United States. The polls are required to be open until 8 p.m., so if you are in line by 8 p.m., you cannot be turned away. If you are not registered to vote, here in Maine you can register at the polls by bringing a proof of address, either a government-issued ID, a bank statement, or a utility statement. This is Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. We hope you elect to visit us on cracklinjane.com. We pause now for station identification. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. Welcome to Hour 2 of Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. Now let's listen to a couple of radio comedies on the subject of voting and elections. We'll hear first an episode of the Screen Guild Theater from 1940, entitled The Great Man Votes starring John Barrymore. So let's listen. The Gulf Screen Guild Theater. Your host, the director of the star's own theater, Roger Pryor. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, the Gulf Theater stars John Barrymore, Thomas Mitchell, and Virginia Widler. And you'll hear them in a most timely comedy, A Great Man Votes, adapted for radio by Norman Corwin. Tonight's stars are here because you've asked for them in your letters. Remember, the Gulf Screen Guild Theater is the one place that can really bring you the stars you ask for, because this is truly the star's own theater. You see, the stars who appear here donate their talent. The money they would ordinarily receive, Gulf gives instead to the Motion Picture Relief Fund. And that money is building a big home just outside of Hollywood. A home that will provide for the members of the picture industry who can no longer take care of themselves. That applause, ladies and gentlemen, is for our stars. 
who have just walked from the wings onto the stage. And now, on with the play, with Frank Tewis conducting Oscar Bradley's Gulp Orchestra in the opening theme. is the greatest man in the world. Is that so? Who is your father? Gregory Vance. That's who. And what's your name? Joan. Joan Vance. Well, look, Joan, how do you know your father's the greatest man in the world? Because I can prove it. How? I got all the facts at my fingertips. Just ask me. Well, if anybody asked me, I'd say you were a pretty smart little girl. I ought to be. My pop teaches me. You mean you don't go to school? Sure. Grade 4B. But I learn more from pop. <laughs> For instance, right now, we'd be sitting at home after the dishes were done. I wipe and Pop washes. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, he put down his bottle and... His bottle of what? Rheumatiz medicine. Oh. He, he never had to take it until after Mom died. But after she went away, he, he drank most a quart of that medicine a day. I see. I guess he kind of loved your mother, Joan. Kind of loved her? He loved her with his whole soul and being, like they say in books. Well, as I started to tell you, Pop would put down his bottle and... Vance misfortunes, will you attempt to tell me what Caesar got out of his expedition to Britain? He got pushed around by the pickets and the scotch. The picts and the scots. The pickets and the scotch. Sounds like a strike in a liquor factory. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder, my dear Joan, whether you learn such things in school or at a longshoreman's clam bait. Proceed. Nascator ibi plumbum album in Mediterraneus regonibus advertanium. And the translation? While in England, Caesar got himself a load of tin. How's that, Pop? Yeah, not exactly a literal translation, but it'll do. It'll do. Hmm. My, uh, my medicine bottle's empty. Fortunately, there's another quart in the medicine cabinet. Oh, but, but I threw that away today. You did? You did what? Yes. I got you some new medicine. New medicine? I went to see Doc Phillips, and we had a nice talk about you. That old quack. What does he know about medicine? I know what kind of medicine is good for me. That isn't what Doc Phillips says. Here, take this. No, I'm, I'm not going to take it. Open your mouth, Pop. I won't. Oh, please, Pop. All right. Give it to me. Water! Water! got it already. Yeah. It wasn't so bad, was it? Bad? It tastes like seawater. Fermented. You were a tyrant. A tyrant, Joan. An adorable tyrant. But a tyrant just the same. You're getting more like your mother every day. Am I? Pop? Yeah. What was Mom like? Like? Huh? It takes someone of, with a far greater gift for language than I have to tell you, Joan. I came out of Harvard with only a Ph.D. She was good. She was kind. She was beautiful. If she'd lived, she uh, might have made a great man out of me. Yes, a great man. A father you could be proud of. But I am proud of you, Pop. A night watchman on a construction job. 
I'm terribly proud of you. I don't care what the kids say about you. What do the kids say about me? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all, Pop. Come on. What do they say? Oh, just that you're always drinking all the time. But, but that's because they don't know about your rheumatism. Joan, why are you proud of me? Well, because. Because why? Because. That's all. Just, just because. I think my father's a great man just because I love him so much. But let me tell you, Mr. Pryor... Sure, I understand, Joan. Tell me, did what your father teach you at home help you at school? Did it? Say, on account of Pop's coaching, I guess I made those other kids look like monkeys, especially when it came to reciting about... Attention, please. I'm your new teacher, Miss Dillow. And now we'll go right around the class and you can tell me your names. Uh, what's yours? The boy here on the first seat. The name is Davy. Davy McCarty. Put away that candy. Oh, yeah? My father is Iron Hat McCarty, and he's boss of this ward, and he says I can eat what I want when I want. Well, since your father is Iron Hat McCarty, you'll no doubt be able to tell us about Caesar's expedition to Britain. Huh? We're ready any time you are. Oh, uh, 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 Caesar... Caesar... Went to, to England and, and uh, England, William Can uh, somebody else in the class help out the son of Iron Hat McCarty? Please, Miss Billow, I can. Caesar built himself a big wall there to keep out the picks and the scots. And there was a big town in back of the wall with horse racing and cockfighting going on all the time. It, it was open all night like the six day bike races. That's perfectly true. But it's not in your elementary book. Would you mind telling me where you learned all that? My father teaches me at home. What's your name? Joan Vance. Pop says the more he sees of dumbbells like Davy McCarty, the less he thinks of our school. <laughs> My old man will make a kick about that crack in the seat of your pants, I hope. <laughs> Quiet, children. Quiet. Davy McCarty, you may retire to the cloakroom. And as soon as school is over... You and I will have a little understanding. Are you telling me, David, that this here teacher dared to give you a whipping? Yes, Father. And she made me apologize to that John Vance. Nobody can do that to a son of Iron Hat McCarthy. I'll have her fired out of her job tomorrow. And this John Vance now, who's she? Our old man's Gregory Vance. He's a night watchman on that building they're putting up in 3rd Street. 3rd Street, is it? That's in my ward. Joan says her father thinks you're a dumbbell. Oh, he does, does he? Well, I'll see to that. Mr. Gregory Vance is joining the ranks of the unemployed. Right now, if not immediate. And Pat McCarthy speaking. McCarthy, this is Dale. Oh, Commissioner Dale, is it? What can I be doing for you? There's a campaign rally tonight for all ward bosses. Drag your fat carcass over and don't be late. <laughs> yes, sir, yes, sir. I'd be there, Commissioner, with bells on. Leave the bells at home and bring along a few votes. If we don't win this election, we'll all be out in our ear. Goodbye. Uh, thank you, Commissioner. Goodbye, Commissioner. Well, they want me to preside at a big political meeting, Davy. The mayor himself insists I be there. But what about them? 
Oh, to be sure. Well, I'll just stop by on my way to the meeting and take care of Mr. Vance. Stop here, George. Bradley. Mr. Bradley. Come over here. Hello, Mr. McCarty. What's up? I just stopped by to tell you that you'll be needing a new night watchman. But I've got a night watchman, Gregory Vance. A wastrel who's not up to his responsibilities. If there was some way of ventilating the bottle, Vance would live in one. And had any kicks on his work? Mr. Bradley, that's an attitude unworthy of you. Especially since you're clogging the public streets with your building material. I've had a sad time keeping the street commissioner off you. Ah, well. Your pleasure's my pleasure, Mr. McCarty. But how am I going to replace Vance tonight? Replace Vance? Watch this, watch this. What goes on? I hear my name being taken in vain. Your job goes on, Mr. Vance, but without you. Do I hear an ass braying inside that car? <laughs> ah! It's old Iron Hat McCarthy. Get off this property, you floppy-eared donkey. Oh, so it's a mush you're asking for, is it? I'll give you a skin full of broken bones. Get out of the car and take off your iron hat, and I'll smack you around your whole election district. May arthritis and all. So that's it, is it? Run! Get out! What have you dukes? I haven't the time to dirty my hands with an unemployed law. Come on! You're getting out! Step on it, George. Step on it, or I'll be keeping them waiting at the administration meeting. My 13th precinct is a very unique precinct indeed. In what way, McCarty? Well, sir, in recent years, the shops and office buildings have crowded out the residential abodes to such an extent that we haven't quite as many registered votes as previous. Well, well, come out with it. How many are there? Uh, just one. <laughs> ah, fine, fine. <laughs> McCarty, you know this voter? I do. Like a brother. <laughs> That's good, McCarty, that's good. Because if you fail to pledge his vote, you're through. Drummed out. Washed up! Is that clear? It is, it is. I got to vote him unanimous. Now what's this lone voter's name, McCarty? 
Gregory Vance. So the Gulf Theater curtain falls on Act One of A Great Man Votes. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. And now the curtain of the Gulf Theater is ready to rise on the second act of tonight's comedy, The Great Man Votes, starring John Barrymore as Gregory Vance, Thomas Mitchell as Iron Hat McCarty, and Virginia Widler as Vance's small daughter who is telling our story. Well, Mr. Pryor, that's the way it happened. When old Iron Pants, I mean Iron Hat, fired Pop from his job, he only got himself in a spot that was ten times tougher. When he found out your father was the only voter in the 13th district, huh? He had to get your father's vote or his party would lose the election. That's right. Well, old Iron Hat came to our house the very next afternoon... He was plenty anxious to patch things up with Pop, I can tell you. Could I bring this little gift here for your charming daughter, one of the fairest lasses in the whole city? Mm. Thank him, Joan, dear. Thanks. Can it be that uh, you have some ulterior motive in coming here? Or are you suddenly interested in the field of child welfare? Ah, <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear, what a wit, what a wit, what a joker. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do not like you, McCarty. <laughs> what people think of me don't matter as long as they have a knife in the grand works of the party. What's your feeling about that, Mr. Vance? I would hate to tell you with my daughter present. <laughs> no, then if it's the loss of your job that put rancor in your heart, you'll feel different when... When I get it off my chest at the polls tomorrow morning. Now, wait, will you wish? Wait till I tell you why you were done out of that miserable job, Mr. Vance. It was beneath you. How's that again? The fact has come recent to my attention that you was once a famous educator at Harvard College and that you've written some monographs. Monographs. Ah, yes, yes, it is that I... <laughs> and says I, what manner of civilization permits a fellow saturated with PHs and double Ls to be doing a job that don't require no more alphabet than, a, than the police dogs? A brother in the bond of learning, says I. Why don't you get to the point, you stuffed shirt? Joan! Remember the ancient Vance tradition of hospitality. Always listen politely to a guest before throwing him out. <laughs> now, uh, as for a position to edify you for the loss of your watchman's job, the halls of learning of this great city would take on a new aroma just from your mental presence. Thank you. What kind of a position are you referring to? How would a janitor's position strike you? Mr. McCarthy, I would be truly grateful. Hold it, Pop. Hey, what's the matter, Joan? Janitors ain't so great. But I do need a job, Joan. Yeah, and I'll bet Mr. McCarthy needs your vote. Ah, oh, nonsense. The vote's nothing in itself, Vance. But the party feels, well, it's enlisting your intellectual support. Now, if it's a teacher you want to be... A teacher? Wait a minute, but Pop. But a teacher, Joan. Nothing doing. Teaching is for ladies. <laughs> the little darling's right. What I meant to say was we might use your right handily on the school board. School board? Why, Mr. McCarthy, I'd be delighted. Hold it, Pop. What's the matter with that, Joan? I never heard of a great man being on a school board. All right, all right, then, superintendent. 
superintendent. Pop. But Jones... Let's hear another offer, Mr. McCarty. Commissioner. Commissioner of Education. And that's the last offer. Does anyone mind if I sit down? How about a contract, Mr. McCarty? Yes, yes. I'll I, I, I get a contract drawn up. You, you wait here and I'll be right back. You're in, Pop. You're in. Yes. Yes. No. No, I can't do it. I can't possibly make a bargain with this man. Why not? Joan, the casting of a vote is the casting of a belief. That's why this country's good. Ironhat McCarthy represents a crooked and sinister political machine. I just can't sell out. The Vances may equivocate with their dreams, but never with their ideals. But, but Pop, you, you could dress up nice and... And you wouldn't have to work nights in the cold and the rain and everything. You, you'd be a commissioner. Ain't that something pretty great? Well, I don't know. I... The commissioner has a car, because I've seen it. And, and I could ride with you. And oh, I'd make all them fresh kids at school look terribly sick. Oh, I'd be so proud of you. Gosh. You'd be proud of me, huh? Gee, Pop, yes. Awful uh, I don't know. I gotta think it over. I ought to kick McCarthy out on his ear when he comes back. Yet I don't know. That commissioner's job is a big one. And I'd like to be a great man. For you. early this evening prophesied success for Mayor Artemis W. Folsom and his entire ticket tomorrow, claiming the whole city will follow the lead of the lone voter of the 13th Precinct, Gregory Vance. His honor, Mayor Folsom, will be at the polling place to greet voter Vance. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Vance has just cast his historic vote. And now it gives us a special pride to announce at this time to one and all that Mr. Gregory Vance, formerly of Harvard College and the author of several famous monographs, besides being a great scholar and a great man, to say the least, Mr. Gregory Vance has consented to become the new Commissioner of Public Schools. Mr. Vance... Will you contribute to the glory of the occasion by giving us a speech? All right, all right. Right into the microphone, Mr. Vance. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I, uh, I came, I saw, I conquered. That's Caesar. <laughs> no, Joan. That, that is Gregory Vance. The scrubbiest Roman of them all. Gregory Vance, magnified briefly by a kindly destiny in a kindly land where greatness is within a man and where any man who calls himself great is only looking at his shadow while standing on the shoulders of those who have lifted him up. Side by side we walk today, the big and the little, and those we... Uh, sometimes call the down and out.
cast our votes. A voter by the name of Mr. John Greenleaf Whittier once spoke of that. The proudest now is but my peer, the highest not more high. The day of all the weary year, a king of men am I. Today alike are great and small, the nameless and the known. My palace is the people's hall, the ballot box, my throne. You're doing great, Pop. Today, today I am a political lion, lionized by the city, the press, the mayor, uh, and the estimable Mr. McCarthy. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Lionized because of a certain tradition regarding the 13th precinct. Tomorrow I will be quite forgotten. A bit of shadow glory. Who, like the rest of you, left their mark only in the ballot box. But today, my fellow voters, let us take all advantage of our moment to express our sincere and honest opinions. And together we may carry this fair city forward to a newer and greater destiny. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Vance. And now, His Honor Mayor Artemis W. Fulsom has a little surprise for you. A surprise for me, Mr. Mayor? Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, in the nature of a trifling gift, Mr. Vance. Come right out here to the curb with me. Careful, Pop. Looks like we're going for a ride. Quite right, Joan. In your own limousine with a chauffeur to match. What? This? You mean you're presenting me with this uh, flaming chariot? If you don't like the color, we, <laughs> we'll change it, Commissioner. It's your car. Well, well, well. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Think nothing of it. And I took the liberty of putting a few small things in the car for you, Joan. Something for me? Oh, some candy and flowers, a dog, <laughs> nothing much. Why, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. No, no, thank you, Commissioner Vance. Thank you for all you've done today to protect our city from corruption and exploitation at the hands of unscrupulous politicians. Oh, I only did my duty, sir. Oh, here, here. Let me open the door for you. Thank you, thank you. No, no, thank you. And let me help you in, Joan. Thank you. Uh, no, no, thank you. <laughs> well, goodbye, my dear, dear friend. Mm, goodbye, goodbye. Drive on, Macduff. Say, say, Pop. What, darling? That mayor ain't such a bad guy, is he? No, that mayor isn't, as a matter of fact. Joan, uh, you know something? What, Pop? I rather wish I'd voted for him. To John Barrymore, Thomas Mitchell, Virginia Weidler, and Frank Tours conducting Oscar Bradley's Gulf Orchestra. You were great.
are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. This is Around the World of Cracklin' Jane. We've just heard The Great Man Votes, starring John Barrymore from the Screen Guild Theater of 1940. And now, here is a 1948 episode of the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Get out the vote! Yes, it's time for the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. And now, the Phil Harris Alice Bay Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Ann Whitfield, Walter Scharf and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Bay and Phil Harris. <laughs> It is four o'clock in the Harris household, and the children have just arrived home from school. They're an hour late, and Phil and Alice are a little upset. Well, it's about time you children got home. Where have you been? Yeah, why were you so late? The teacher kept us after school, Daddy. Yeah, she said the homework we did last night was all wrong. So? (laughs) My children can't grasp the simple things they teach in the elementary grades. The trouble is you don't pay no attention. You think you know everything. You won't listen to your elders. Now, after this, if you have any trouble, come to me with your homework. That's what we did last night, Dad. (laughs) Oh. And what makes your teacher so sure it was wrong? said George Washington was the first president, not Petrillo. Well, that's a moot point. Daddy, the teacher gave us these pamphlets for you to read. Let me see them, children. Hmm. These might help you, Phil. Political history of our country, current issues of the political campaign, party platform... Hold it, Myrtle, hold it. Just... Take it easy. You might not know it, but I don't have to read pamphlets to know what's going on in this country. I'm right up to the minute on world affairs and current events, like every good American citizen should be. Well, I'm glad you feel that way, because there's something I forgot to tell you. The election committee called, and they want us to help out at the election on Tuesday. Election? Mm-hmm. Somebody's running for something? <laughs> well, we're voting for a president. They want me to work at the polls, and they want you to go around the neighborhood and get the people to vote. Oh, but Alice, I can't be bothered with that stuff. Let somebody else do it. Oh, Phil, that's not the right attitude. This is an important election. That's right, Daddy. The teacher says it's the duty of everyone to do their part. Please do it, Daddy. We'll be proud of you. You'll be running the election and helping to pick the president. Yes, Phyllis, but I can... Running the election, huh? (laughs) be picking a president, huh? Well, if it's up to me to pick them, we don't need no election. We'll call the whole thing off. I'll make big changes. Phil. Yes, big changes. I'll make a clean sweep of the whole country. Phil, stop swinging your arms. If anybody came in and Yes, back sir, of you... I'll sweep everything. Phil, look what you did. Oh, well, gee, I didn't know that anybody was in back of me. It's my brother, William. You knocked him out. <laughs> 
As I was saying, I'll sweep everybody. Phil, don't let him lie there. Help him up. Okay, okay. How is he, Phil? How is he? Is he unconscious? With Willie, it's hard to tell. (laughs) Yeah, he's out all right, honey, but I'll bring him to Well, hurry, Phil. Rub his wrist. Slap his face. Not with your fist. (laughs) Come on, Willie. Willie, come on. Snap out of it. Willie, come on. Snap out. I'm sorry it happened. I didn't even know you were there, and I... Well, Willie, say something, Willie. Speak to me. Good morning, Philip. For that, I had to bring him, too. I'm glad you're all right, Willie. It was an accident. I don't believe it. I think he did it on purpose. Oh, don't be ridiculous. Phil would never hit you on purpose, would you, Phil? Nah. <laughs> Carried away with himself when I told him about his being appointed to the election committee. Yes, sir, and they showed great judgment. Who could do a better job of getting those women out to vote? Why, I'll have them dames eaten out of my hand. All I got to do is call at their homes, turn on that Harris charm, and I'll have all Hold them women coming to... Buster, hold <laughs> Philip, frankly, I don't think the committee made a very wise choice. The importance of voting in this election should be explained to the people, and I don't think you're capable of doing it. I doubt if you even know who's running. I don't know who's... Oh, Oglethorpe. (laughs) Homer J. Oglethorpe, please. Go buy yourself a new snuff box. But you know, answer me. Who is running? Oh, you don't know, huh? Well, of course I know. Among the candidates, Thomas E. Dewey, Harry Truman, Henry Wallace, Norman Thomas, and J. Strom Thurmond. But of course. (laughs) I hope you know, Phil. I didn't want to tell you, but several of the committee members questioned your ability to do the job. In fact, a few of them are coming over this evening. They questioned my ability. My ability. Well. (laughs) This is... This is the sort of a thing that cuts a man to the quick. Bill, they're just coming over to find out if you're capable of handling it. You have to have a knowledge of politics in case people ask questions. Let them ask questions. Let them ask questions. Let them interrogate me. What was that last word? Me. Yeah, me. Me. (laughs) I can explain to those people the importance of voting this year. It's the political issues involved which concern the, uh, well, the, uh, I'll get it. Glad that bell rang. I really don't know too much about this. There must be some way I can find out before election. Hi, Curly. Frankie. Hey. Hey, what do you know about politics? Everything. (laughs) I probably know as much about politics as I do about music. Uh Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Not if there's anything you want to know, just ask me. I'll take a chance. Now, look. Who are you voting for in the presidential election? I ain't voting. I don't believe in changing presidents. Well, some people think we should. Well, that's because they haven't followed the career of our president as closely as I have. I say the man's doing a good job. And as long as he continues to do a good job, let's keep Hoover there. (laughs) Frankie... Yes? Mr. Truman is the president of the United States, not Hoover. Oh, oh, good. I was thinking of Canada. 
<laughs> now, is there anything else you want to know? Yeah. Have you seen a doctor about that slow leak in your head? <laughs> Look, Remley, I'm on the election committee, and they're coming over tonight to find out what I know about the different parties. Curly, your education's been sadly neglected. Didn't you learn anything in school? First thing they taught me was that there are two major parties, the Whigs and the Tories. <laughs> Those two I know about. <laughs> There's more? <laughs> well, there must be. There are a lot of other fellows running y- this year. There's Harry Truman, Thomas E. Dewey, Henry Wallace, J. Strom Thurmond, and Thomas. Thomas? John Charles. <laughs> Look, Remley, you know even less than I do about this, and it's our duty to find out about it. I hope you realize the importance of voting. Well, of course I do. Look at my poor father. One year he didn't vote, and they passed prohibition. (laughs) And what's wrong with prohibition? I mean, worse things than that can happen, like having an atom bomb go off in your hand or something. I mean, after all, Remley, you don't know anything. Don't you know anybody that I can talk to who knows politics? Well, why do you have to know about it? Well, because we have to know what we're doing when we vote. If we pick the wrong guy, we can get into as much trouble as people did when they had that, uh, that Nebuchadnezzar. What was wrong with him? Well, besides his name. What was wrong with him? Oh, Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. There was three children from the land of Israel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They took a little trip to the land of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. We took a lot of gold and made him an idol, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Fall down and worship that idol, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. But the children of Israel would not bow down, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You couldn't fool them with a golden idol, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I said you couldn't fool them with a golden idol, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. So the king put the children in the fire furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Then he heaped on the coals and the red-hot brimstone, Shadrach, Seven times hotter, hotter than it ought to be. Shadrach! He burned up the soldiers the king had put there. Shadrach! Meshach Abednego! But the Lord sent an angel with snowy white wings down in the middle of that furnace, talking to the children about the power of the gospel. Shadrach! Meshach Abednego! Well, they couldn't even burn a hair on the head of that Shadrach. Meshach Abednego laughing and talking while the fire was a jump. Shadrach! The Lord was on their side. Old Nebuchadnezzar called Hadar when he saw the power of the Lord. And they had a big time in the house of Babylon, Shadrach. Shadrach! Meshach!
Hey, Curly, I've been thinking. Why do you have to ask somebody about politics? Books have been written on the subject. You must have one in the house. Yeah, yeah, we must have. Hey, hmm? let's look at my book collection and see. Your book collection? <laughs> Naturally. I have quite an extensive library. Mm-hmm. There they are. Go ahead. Look for yourself. Oh. Rubiana of Omer Khayyam. <laughs> Emerson's Essays. Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. Masochistic Tendencies of the Malayan. <laughs> That one was excellent. <laughs> a smasher. You liked it, huh? Well, that and Homer's Iliad, I, I just couldn't put them down. I, I suggest you read it, Mr. Remley. Yes, maybe I would. No. I'll wait till I make the picture. <laughs> See what else you got here. The architectural influence of the Elizabethan era... The Robo Boys at the Hatchapi Curl. <laughs> Alice, she goes for that light, frothy stuff. Aha, uh-huh, of course, of course. Ah, here's a book that'll help us, Curly. The Machination of Political Regimes During the Industrial Revolution. Ideal for our purpose, Mr. Remley. Right now, let's see. Uh-uh. Mac. Uh-uh. Hey, Remley. What? We'll never understand this. The words are too big and complicated oh, Bill, for us. Bill, Bill, I... Oh, hello, Frank. Hi, Alice. Hey, Alice. I've been thinking about it, and, hey, uh, maybe I shouldn't serve on that committee. Yeah, but, Phil, I think you should. It's important to call at people's homes and get them out to vote. I know that, but they're going to ask me questions, and if I can't answer them, they won't even let me in their home. Hey, Curly, i got an idea. Why don't you practice on Alice and me? Pretend we're a married couple and you're trying to get us to vote. Okay, Remley, I'll... Wait a minute. <laughs> You and Alice are married? Mm-hmm. I don't like that. <laughs> don't be a child. We're only playing house. <laughs> go on now, you go to the door and ring the bell. All right, I'll try it. Okay, Alice. Now we'll make like we're a married couple. Uh-huh. You put your head on my shoulder. All right. I'll put my arm around you like uh-huh. this. Uh-huh. <laughs> you comfy, dear? Mm, yes, darling. Wait! <laughs> we ain't gonna do it that way, Remley. <laughs> Please, don't tell me how to play house. <laughs> go on, you, you go outside and ring the bell and I'll let you in. And let me in fast, brother. I don't want no pause between me and the bell ring. <laughs> and the door opening. Let's make it all work fast. All right. Well, all right, but see if you get the door open. I'm oh. going to try. No loud, Dad. No loud. <laughs> Look, Alice, we got to make it tough for Curly. Yeah. We'll pretend we're not interested in voting, and it's up to him to convince us that we should. Uh-huh. Groceries in the kitchen. Oh, thanks, Julius. Hi, Mr. Remley. Where's Mr. Harris? I beat it, kid. We're busy. <laughs> Go on, scram. Scram. Stop pushing, Mac. <laughs> I'll go. I ain't overjoyed at the prospect of your company anyway. <laughs> 
Someone's at the door, darling. Well, answer it, sweetie pie. See? <laughs> Go away, will you? I'm talking to Alice. There's someone at the door, Angel. I'll get it, honey. Let's get it together, sweetheart. <laughs> Angel? Honey? Sweetheart? This is certainly a nauseating situation. <laughs> I'd better sneak up and find out what's going on. I'll open the door, dearest. Careful of your itty-bitty hands, cookie pie. <laughs> I don't know which is more nauseating, the situation or the dialogue. <laughs> Coming. Uh, hello. Uh-oh, it's Mr. Harris. Now the fireworks start. <laughs> Madam, uh, my name is Phil Harris. Does he have to introduce himself every time he comes home? <laughs> I'd like to talk to you, lady. May I come in? Oh, not now. I'm very busy. Come back some other time. Well, uh, well, if I can't talk to you, may I talk to your husband? He's got to ask her if it's all right to talk to himself. <laughs> I'm sorry that my husband is busy is and I... there somebody at the door, darling? I... Oh. Well, and who is this? <laughs> <laughs> How can he act so innocent? <laughs> This is Mr. Harris, darling. Oh? Mr. Harris, I'm Mrs. Harris. And this is my husband, Mr. Renly. <laughs> I guess I just don't understand these Hollywood melodies. Well, what's on your mind, Harris? Well, there's something I got to talk to you two about. There's something I must know. Uh-oh, here's what a shooting starts. <laughs> What do you want to know? Are you two voting next Tuesday? <laughs> now, there's a shrewd question. I'm <laughs> now, I can't stand no more of this. Mr. Harris, can't you see what's going on oh, here? Oh, Julius, what are you doing in here? He delivered the groceries. Oh. We thought he left. Oh. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, Mr. Lindley. Call him his fake cookie pie right in front of poor Mr. Harris. Hey, hey, what do you know? The kid's sticking up for me. Yeah, I'm sticking up for you. I can't let your wife do this to you just because you're a poor, broken-down old musician who ain't got enough... Never mind. <laughs> Get off my side. <laughs> now, feed it, will you, kid? Go on back to the grocery. Okay, Get out okay. of it. All right. Darn, kids spoiled the whole thing. Now we don't even... Oh. Well, I wasn't doing too well anyway. Well, Phil, it might help you if, you if you read those pamphlets the children brought home from school. They explain the candidates, their platforms, and how the government is run in a very simple language. Yeah. The pamphlets. Hey, come on, Frankie. We got just time to read them things before the committee gets here. Come on. See okay. you later, honey. <laughs> Gee, it's nice to see Phil take an interest in the election. Maybe he'll find out a few things about our country. It's a big place and there's a lot to learn, such as... Copper comes from Arizona. Pizza come from Georgia. And lobsters come from Maine. The wheat fields are the sweet fields of Nebraska. And Kansas gets bonanzas from the grain. Old whiskey comes from old Kentucky. Ain't the country lucky? New Jersey gives us blue. 
of Missouri. Where most beef and for roast beef seems to grow. Grand Canyon come from Colorado. Rope comes from Nevada. Yes, and divorces also do. And you, you come from Rhode Island. And little old Rhode Island is famous for you. Pencils come from Pennsylvania. They grow mink in Wyoming. A camp chair in New Hampshire, that's for me. And did you know that's a minnow? Yeah. Come from Minnesota. A coat come from Dakota. But why should you be blue? For you, you come from Rhode Island. Don't let him ride Rhode Island. He's famous. Frankie, did you finish reading all the pamphlets? Uh, yeah. Pretty interesting, aren't they? If you say so. <laughs> well, they are. According to these pamphlets, almost any kid in this country has a chance to grow up and be president. Not having any kids, I ain't interested. <laughs> but supposing you did. Just picture it, Frankie. Someday you get married, and after a year or two, the stork comes to your house, and who knows? The little one might grow up to be president. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah. I'm well, the only stork that ever grew up to be president. <laughs> Look, Curly, forget my kid and think about your committee. They'll be here soon. Now, can you memorize everything you read? Well, I hope so. There's an awful lot to remember, though. All right, I'll brief you. First, our form of government is divided into three branches, legislative, executive, and judiciary. You know all the candidates and their different platforms, and of course you know that we don't elect our president through popular vote. We send members to the electoral college who in turn elect the president. You follow me? Yeah, I got most of it. <laughs> but what was that stuff after you said, I'll brief you? Tell you once more. The government is the... Wait a minute, too late, Frankie. Now, there's the committee. Oh. I think I'll remember everything if they'll just start asking questions fast before I forget. Well, don't wait. Start I'm talking politics start. as soon as they can. I will. Oh, Bill, Bill, the committee is here. Uh, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Cohen, this is my husband, Mr. Harris. How do you do, Mr. Harris? How are you, sir? Our government is divided into three branches. <laughs> the legislative, the executive, and the Jew-Egyptionary. <laughs> How am I doing with my answers, Alice? Not bad, considering they haven't asked you any questions yet. <laughs> uh, won't you be seated, gentlemen? Uh, thank you, but we can't stay long. Uh, now, Mr. Harris, we're merely here to find out if you're familiar with election procedure. We know you are, but some voters might ask silly questions like, how is the president elected? Well, that I know. Now, the president is not elected by popular vote. Instead, we vote to send members to an electrical college. <laughs> After they graduate from college, they vote for us, and that's why it takes four years to elect the president. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> That's a very keen analysis. <laughs> yeah, it is. Mr. Harris has a great brain. Someday we hope to find out who graded it. <laughs> Mr. Harris, do you know anything at all about politics? Do you know who you're going to vote for yourself? Naturally. I've made up my mind, and I know exactly who I'm going to vote for. Uh, well, off the record, I hope you're voting for Mr. Truman. Of course. Who else? I think Mr. Dewey is the better man. That's what I said. Mr. Dewey, by all means. <laughs> of course, there are people who like Mr. Thurman. And I'm one of those people. How do you feel about last? You couldn't find a better man to cut that... <laughs> Mr. Harris, according to you, you're voting for three men. Do you think we should have three presidents at the same time? Why not? While one is joining Indian tribes and the second one is out fishing, the third one can stay at the White House and get some work done. <laughs> Mr. Johnson, I think we've heard enough. Shall we go? Yes, yes. Mr. Harris, I don't think you're the man for the election committee. Unfortunately, we can't prevent you from voting yourself, but we... Uh, <laughs> we can keep you from lousing up everybody else. <laughs> Good night, sir. Oh, the gentleman, Mr. Harris... Good night, Mrs. Harris. You have our deepest sympathy. Well, <laughs> oh, you didn't know what you were talking about at all. Well, I was trying to... Being on the committee isn't too important, but before you vote, I wish you'd find out more about the candidate. You're right, Alice. You're absolutely right. And I'll admit I don't know too much about them, and that it's our duty, and it's the duty of everyone to vote intelligently on Tuesday. I'm going to start reading up on the candidates right now. Oh, me too. I didn't realize it before, but now I know it's important to pick the right man. Well, come on, Frankie. Let's study these facts. Now, this explains the platforms of Mr. Truman, Mr. Dewey, Mr. Wallace, Mr. Thurman, and Mr. Frankie. What are you doing? Hmm? Well, I'm choosing the man I'm going to vote for. Well, how are you doing it? I'm putting all the names in a hat, and I'm going to pick one. You can't do it that way. It's too late. I already picked the name out. Here it is. I'm voting for... Funny, I didn't even put this one in. <laughs> Who is it? Some guy named Stetson. You picked out the lady. <laughs> Remley, sit down. We're going to read this book right now. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1948 episode of the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show. Get out the vote. The other day I attended a concert at Carnegie Hall. The lady who sang was distinguished and charming, the belle of the ball. When they announced her famous name, the audience was in bliss, but a little girl behind me whispered this. 
Gee, I wish I had a daddy in the White House. I wish I lived in Washington, D.C. Life would be so gay. Every Democrat would have to pay to hear me singing with a symphony. Oh, gee, I'd never have those nasty old auditions the orchestra would gladly find my keys i'd be known from shore to shore cause daddy would pass the law and the law would say you've got to listen to me Imagine me appearing at the Metropolitan Opera House. I'm sure that I could do it if I try. I know I'd be a hit with Daddy playing in the pit. And the chorus strictly FBI. I know that I would have a million fans. Except some music hatin', daddy baitin', Republicans. Gee, I wish I had a daddy in the White House. I'm sure I'd be the darling of the nation. And picture all the fun I'd have in Washington. I'd sing at Mr. Keith Alford's investigations with Daddy in the White House. Now, wouldn't that be great? Four years would be the least amount of bookings I would rate. And if Dewey ran again, I'd be up there for eight. And I thank the Lord each night that the nation voted right. Kitty Kalin from 1951. I wish I had a daddy in the White House. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of around the world staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week. <laughs>